Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. Pressure coming, picked up for the end zone, touchdown! Michael Preston. Luke Fox back! Shady's back! The get right game. What did we all call it all week? The get right game. That was what this game had to be. The get right game. And that is exactly what it was for Luke Falk. Welcome back to the Kook Center Hour. Chris Murray from the Reno Journal Gazette or Gazette Journal, rather, sorry, going to join us here in a few minutes to talk about Washington State's upcoming opponent, the Nevada Wolfpack. But let's start last weekend. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. So 22 touchdowns, two interceptions, and a little short of 1,700 yards for a career against Oregon State now for Luke Falk. And actually had his worst day passing yardage-wise against them on Saturday with 300 and was it 96 yards of passing. That was his worst day of passing. Worst. I want to make sure we all emphasize that. That was his worst day against Oregon State. That was the Luke Falk I've, I've been waiting five games for. I've been, I, Colorado, Washington, Minnesota, Montana State, Boise State. That was not the quarterback we got against Montana State. They just dropped eight into coverage and... Fine, let James Williams run all over you. That was certainly not the quarterback we got against Boise State. And as Jeff noted in his piece yesterday, Jason Gesser said in the pregame, he cleared concussion protocol on on that, or when he came out of that game. So he could have gone back in. But he didn't. That was exactly what Luke Falk needed to do. Needed to do. He needed to go out there and throw the ball all over the damn yard. And he was throwing guys open. He was throwing to guys who were covered tight. He was throwing to Tavares Martin Jr. He was throwing to Isaiah Johnson Mack when they were covered. And when he had to trust them to go up and get that football. That first touchdown pass to Tavares Martin was an absolute dime. That is Luke Falk's greatest asset, is his accuracy. And he needs to realize that again, and he did on Saturday. I'll grant you that Oregon State's secondary is obviously not as good as most of the secondaries Washington State's going to face the rest of the year. They were struggling with injuries. They didn't have one of the cornerbacks they thought was going to be out uh, back for the game, but he was still obviously dealing with an injury. But still, they went right at Oregon State. And it was a struggle in the you know the first quarter or so, first quarter and a half. And that that decision to throw the ball to Jamal Morrow in the end zone is is as boneheaded as they get. And I am positive he's going to hear about it this week because that I, I mean on the pantheon of stupid decisions that ranks right up there with the bull cut I rocked from about fourth to sixth grade, right up in that area. But 
after that, him getting in a rhythm, that throw again to DeVars Martin Jr. And even that long touchdown on that third and 22 play, Martin wasn't you know open in the sense of, I think, the Luke Falk we've seen previously being comfortable to throw to him. He had a linebacker underneath, and there were guys behind him. He had to throw that ball to where Martin was going to be. And he had the confidence to do that, knowing that Tavares was going to get there and knowing that he could put that ball where he wanted it to. That was vintage Luke Falk on Saturday. The finest vintage Luke Falk there is. That is what we've been wanting to see for the last five games. Two games this season. That's the Luke Falk I've wanted to see. My God, that man could do anything with that football on Saturday. He looked stupendous. He looked like himself again. He looked like the Luke Falk we all know and love. He looked like Washington State's all-time passing leader. He looked like Washington State's all-time touchdown passing leader. He looked like a guy who's going to break Sean Mannon's conference record for passing yards. That is what he looked like. He looked like the quarterback Washington State needs him to be in the absence of a running game that's still getting going right now. He looked like the quarterback Washington State needs him to be if they have a hope of playing in a post-New Year's Bowl game. He looks like the quarterback Washington State needs him to be for them to be successful at all this year. That was what he looked like on Saturday. I don't know where the hell it's been for the last half season worth of games, maybe a little less than that, but it was back. It was back in a big way on Saturday. And again, you're right. Oregon State secondary, not very good. Their defense also not very good. But that is why this is called a get-right game. That or why it was called a get-right game. Because that is a team you should shred. No matter what shape you're in, mentally, physically, whatever. You should shred Oregon State. Because you've done it the last three years, regardless of who the coach is, regardless of who's out there player-wise. You've done it every single freaking year you've been a college football player. That is a team you should absolutely destroy, and Luke Falk did that. That is what I wanted to see. That is what we all wanted to see. I don't think the criticism of him was unfounded the first two games. He looked like crap. He, he looked and played like absolute crap. Uh, that, that, that criticism is not unfounded, because clearly... You know, no receivers were open during the Boise State game. Well, Tyler Holinsky found some open receivers. Tyler Holinsky found them. Luke Falk didn't. And I know it's not just a case of the receivers just, ah, well, we're not going to try to get open for Falk. No. Not, I'm not saying anybody made that suggestion, but I'm just eliminating that as a possibility. Luke Falk was himself again. I don't, again, I don't think the criticism of him was unfounded the first couple of games of the season. Hell, even the last three games of 2016. But he was himself again that Saturday. That is who Washington State needs if they want to get to 10 wins this year. And I know in the I know preseason I said seven and five, and I you know there's still I there's still a possibility this team does it because it, they do not have the easiest of schedules. They have to play USC, they have to play Stanford, and unlike UW, they're actually going to play some ranked teams this year. God, UW's schedule is such a it's just a pastry cake of easiness. That's a really terrible metaphor. Anyway, they again, they could still have some troubles later on this season. And we're going to talk about Peyton Pelour here in a second. But 
that is who the Cougs need if they want to be very successful this year. If they want to have their most successful season in over a decade, they need that Luke Falk. They need the Luke Falk from Saturday. Not so much this weekend against Nevada. We're gonna, again, we'll talk to Chris Murray in a little bit about them. But against USC, that's who you need. That is the Luke Falk I need. I need that Luke Falk. If you want to have an, even a chance, a sniff of upsetting them. I know Texas almost beat them in LA this weekend, but, you know, <laughs> college football's weird, man. One week, you think one team's insane. The, other, the next week, they're terrible. You know, whatever. But college football's weird, and USC is still USC. I still am fearful of them. That was the Luke Falk I've wanted to see. And it was just glorious. Just glorious. Upon watching it replayed at home on my DVR because the internet in Victoria, Canada is so awful. We'll get to that in our Dunderhead of the Week. And yes, I do have an international data plan, but I don't want to plow through it because my wife takes the bus and she uses the one bus away app and she gets kind of mad when it won't update because we don't have enough, you know, I have a limited data plan because I'm a cheapo and she gets mad when it won't update and I get that. So to avoid the anger, I use Wi-Fi and it didn't work very well. Um, let's talk about, I'm ruining Dunderhead of the Week there. I want to talk about Peyton Pelour here for a minute. Um, I, I think, you know, the tragedy is, is that a guy who gave his blood, his sweat, everything to this program for so many years, and a guy who was around the program for so long, even from the days he was a little kid. The tragedy is, I, I think it's twofold. It's that, you know, A, obviously, that in his senior season, when he is the leader of the defense, when he is the guy you count on back there to quarterback the defense at Mike Linebacker, the, the tragedy is twofold. Again, it, because he's, he's, he's done for the season and he doesn't get to have his senior year after working so hard for so long. But B, that it happened. I, I, I don't know when it happened. I, I didn't see a play where it could have happened or you know there was like a suggestion that that injury may have occurred. And it happened in a game where, frankly, it was a comfortable win. It was a very comfortable win for WSU. The stat sheet is full of guys who you never have seen before. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely full of them. And I think that, for me, is an even bigger tragedy from that standpoint. It's that it happened in a game where so many guys were getting on the field and WSU didn't, you know, it's not that they didn't need Peyton Pelour. You always need Peyton Pelour. But it's that it happened in a game where it just the the outcome was just so so unquestioned and so it was it was going to happen that way. I think that for me it kills me even more that it happened in that way. And Palur is a guy who again, he's given so much to this university, so much to its fans, so much to that football team. It kills me that in his senior season, when the Cougs really and truly do need him. I mean, you know, they needed him last year, but I mean, it, it, you can't discount senior leadership like that. You can't discount having a guy like that on your defense in a year when the Cougs really and truly need him. He can't be there. And that really sucks. I mean, I mean that, that really, really stinks. 
But I mean, you know, again, look at this depth chart: Mason Vineyard, Kingston Fernandez, George Hicks, Hunter Dale, uh, Kirkland Parker. You know, Kirkland Parker battling it at uh, um, at uh, oh my goodness, I am completely forgetting Nickelback. There we go. Jihad Woods gets in there after after Pelour gets injured. But so many names on this stat sheet. You know who's not on here? Hercules Mata'afa. You know who all, who else isn't on here? Daniel Aquale. They didn't record a single sack, hurry, anything. Nothing. Because as Jeff wrote on Monday, I, I think the defense was kind of treating it as an exhibition game a little bit. So many names. Mason Vineyard, Kingston Fernandez. So many guys on there you just don't see on the stat sheets very much on there. That's the big tragedy for me with Peyton. If it had to happen, why did it happen here? Why in a game that didn't matter, that he couldn't pour his heart and soul into? You know, I'm, I'm sure he did. I, that's not to say he didn't, but I, I guess I'm I'm romanticizing it a bit. But that it kills me that it happened so so just quietly and with a whimper. I, I just I'm I am absolutely gutted for him, and I, I I know my sympathy doesn't do anything to you know reduce the the pain. I know he feels that he can't play. I don't know Peyton Bluer personally. I've never talked to him, but just the way he plays, the way he the you know the interviews he's given, and the way his teammates you know poured out their support on Twitter for him, that kills me. To see a kid, you know, Travis Long's injury, Connor Halliday's injury, all these, River Craycraft, all these injuries that WSU seems to suffer. These kids that you, you know, I, I love every football player on that team, but that the, these guys just pour their heart and soul into this school and they are the team leader and they are the most visible thing about a football team and they get hurt and their season ends. That sucks, man. For more reasons than just now, you got to figure out who's going to play Peyton Pulver's position on the defense, and that's kind of like the one guy you really didn't want to have to replace, maybe other than Daniel Aquale and Hercules Mataafa. That stinks, man. That really sucks. All the best with Peyton. Hope you get well soon, man. And I, maybe maybe the injury rehab goes well enough that uh, a bowl game play appearance is a possibility, and I'm certainly hoping for that uh, because if anybody on the team deserves it. Uh, it's it's him. So we're gonna get with Chris Murray here from the Reno Gazette Journal next. Preview the Nevada Wolfpack. Boy, they are woo, struggling a little bit this year in a trap game that, or what I thought could be a trap game before the season. Boy, this is kind of one of those you really should. I mean, the the spread's twenty eight in Vegas right now, bigger than the Oregon State game. So I, I yeah. So we'll talk to Chris here coming up next.
Center Hour. We're joined now by Chris Murray of the Reno Gazette Journal. His excellent work uh, covering the Nevada Wolfpack and their season so far. You can find him at MurrayRGJ on Twitter and all of his good work at the Reno Journal Gazette or Reno Gazette Journal's website. I keep calling it the Reno Journal Gazette, Chris, because there's like another paper out there called that. I'm just confused, but uh, we appreciate you being here. Uh, an 0-3 start for Nevada. That's... Boy, that's not what I'm sure the fans were expecting. So, what's the mood like uh, in Reno right now? Uh, everybody wants a new coach. Three games into the tenure, <laughs> and people are ready to jump off the bandwagon. But I mean, you can look really at Washington State early tenure under Mike Leach and kind of see that you know this is going to take a while. Uh, you know, I wrote that actually after the second game. That was my column coming after the game. Is just, you know, it, it's not going to be a quick turnaround. I mean, the Air Raid is a very particular offense that you need specific personnel for. They also made a drastic change on defense, going from basically a Tampa 2 to a three-three-five stack. And they just didn't have the players in place to really execute the offense and defense well. That was before the Idaho State game. Then you go and lose to a team at the FCS level that isn't even a good FCS team. I mean, Idaho State over the previous 11 seasons with something like 25 and 100. Yeah. Um, and yeah, people are upset. I mean, it makes sense that they're upset. It was an unacceptable loss. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense how you go and lose that game. Now, they were playing a true freshman quarterback in his, you know, in his college debut. Um, they played eight true freshmen in the first three games. Uh, that's a lot of players for a school like Nevada. Um, so a lot of these hiccups make some sense. Like I said, you go back to Mike Leach's first season, you're looking uh, you know, at a three-win campaign. They averaged only 20.4 points per game in that first season, which is one of the top or bottom 15 in the country in scoring. Um, and it looks like Nevada's in store for a season like that. But you shouldn't be losing to an FCS team like Idaho State, so yeah. I understand why Wolfpack fans are mad. Yeah, I actually wanted to circle back around to that because, like you said, Idaho State's been pretty historically terrible, even for an FCS team. They had one eight and four season a few years ago, mm-hmm. but two and nine, three and eight's kind of been their modus operandi. I, I, that that at least you know, no matter how you know, a couple of relatively close losses to Northwestern and Toledo that had to surprise everybody. And you know, I can't. Obviously, as a WSU fan, I can't speak too, you know, I can't hold my nose up too high about not losing to an FCS team, but that had to surprise a lot of folks. Yeah, because I think Nevada played pretty well in its first two games. I mean, in the first game at Northwestern, they're 24.100, they're up 10 at halftime, they have a fourth quarter with about nine minutes to go, and they get a crucial fumble, Um, but that fumble's overturned. Nevada probably wins that game if that fumble's not overturned because they're up uh, four points at that point, they have the ball. Um, they can melt the clock a little bit, and, uh, you know, it slipped away at the end. They didn't play well well enough in the fourth quarter, and then they come back at Toledo, get down in a big hole, but they're down 10 points with 10 minutes to go. They have the ball inside Toledo 30, and there's a questionable fumble for Nevada that goes the opposite way. So um, they had played, you know, they, they had won the first two games, but, you know, they weren't supposed to really beat Northwestern and Toledo. They were massive underdogs in both of those games, but they had played well. I mean, there was a reason you could look at the game and say, okay, this was a step forward. They were competitive. They're doing some good things. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like you said, when you go and lose to Idaho State, I mean, Idaho State the week before lost 51-13 to at Utah State, and Utah State is probably one of the two or three worst teams in the Mountain West. So yeah. you're expecting, you know, this is a game, even though you're playing a true freshman quarterback and there's going to be some ups and downs, that's a game that you should win pretty handily. And they were down. 23 points in the second half in that game against Idaho State, rallied to almost tie it and send it to overtime. 
But to put yourself down 23 points against a team like Idaho State, which over the last 11 seasons had won more than three games only once in those 11 seasons, uh, yeah, that, that, that raises some major red flags, and it makes you question uh, exactly where the program is going, not only for this season, but you know, also for the future. Obviously, it's, it's early. I mean, Coach Norrell is going to have at least four seasons to put together his program. Um, but, it, yeah, this was the game in the non-conference schedule in Nevada was supposed to win. The other yeah. three were going to be very difficult. Um, but you lose that game and kind of all heck breaks loose from the you know perspective from the fans. You mentioned uh, earlier that a lot of freshmen seeing some playing time this year, as you might expect, uh, when there's a coaching turnover and a big change in the system, both offensively and defensively. This is Jay Norvell's crack at head coaching. He came here from Arizona State a year there. He's bounced around as well. But this this has to be a bigger rebuild than he was expecting because I, before the season, thought a little bit, you know, for WSU, they're playing USC next week on a Friday night. This kind of set up as a trap game. But after that Idaho State game and a 28-point favorite, uh, it, it kind of leads me to believe Nevada is a little worse maybe than folks thought. Are they maybe, you think, worse than even Jay Norvell thought they'd be? Yeah, I mean, they came off a 5-7 and seven win season last year, and 5-7 and is not horrible, but when you look at Nevada's schedule, they played, uh, just by win-loss record, they played the easiest schedule out of the 128 FBS teams last year, so that 5 win season uh, really wasn't that great. You look at, like, advanced rankings and metrics of teams, and they were one of the, you know, 15 worst teams in the nation last year. They don't really have a proven quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coach Arvell tried to do everything he could to upgrade the town as quickly as possible. I mean, he brought in 42 new players, uh, he's used uh, almost a dozen of his 2018 class scholarships to bring to campus this year to try and get as many new players who uh, you know had the athletic ability and talent uh, as possible as soon as he could to campus. Um, that was a questionable decision in my mind because you know usually your first year as a recruiting, uh, you know after you take over a program, it's going to be a little rough because you didn't have time to build those relationships. Mm-hmm. But for him to put an additional 10 scholarships into this year's class, essentially um, as blue shirt. Um, you know, they, they have a lot riding on the guys that they brought in this year. But, yeah, I mean, there are some certain deficiencies that he inherited on the roster. He's upgraded some of them. Uh, they're a lot better at receiver. Um, they did lose James Butler, who was their team MVP last year, coming off back-to-back 1,300-yard seasons. He transferred less than a month before um, fall camp started, so yeah. they were expecting to have him, and that was kind of, you know, thrown for a curveball late. Uh, and they just haven't sorted out their quarterback position. I mean, they brought in David Cornwell. He was a former All-American in high school, a four-star recruit who went to Alabama and competed for the job early in his tenure there. He was supposed to be the guy. I mean, he's on the media guide. He's on uh, all of the you know, Facebook ads. Uh, you know, commercials and things like that. And, and Coach Norvell even said he was the starter heading into fall camp. Uh, and they've played two quarterbacks, and he hasn't been one of the two who has played. So um, that's also a big question mark is, you know, really what happened with Dave Cornwell? He's a six foot five guy, really strong arm, kind of looked like a perfect fit for the air raid. Um, but as the season has developed, they've gone with two other guys. And, you know, fans are, you know, I think that's, that's added a lot of frustration to the fans yeah. because they think this guy is Joe Montana. Now, who knows? Like, maybe he is a really good quarterback and he just hasn't been given a shot. Um, so, you know, until you actually see that guy out on the field, there's going to be uh, a lot of people thinking, you know, he should, he should be out there and he should be starting um, just because he's been portrayed in a light that he was going to be the guy. Uh, and, you know, in the spring game, uh, Nevada really only played two quarterbacks and he threw for more than 300 yards and two touchdowns and only a half of football didn't play in the second half. So, um, you know, there have been a, a lot of issues that have popped up. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this was a rebuilding job, and I know Coach tried to get as many new players in as possible. But, uh, you know, if you're going to be playing two freshmen in key roles, 
uh, you know, kids at the mid-major level, then, you know, it's going to take some, some time for them to get adjusted to this level, especially at the quarterback position. I want to talk about quarterback a little bit because you had a, a tweet yesterday that even for, you know, a, a fan of a team that struggled with their quarterback for a long time, I was surprised by a uh, quarterback situation at the point where a mom of a Nevada QB is anonymously emailing me that her son should play, except her name is in the sent address. So not great. Good on you for keeping the mom anonymous, but not great on her for realizing yeah. that, you know, you can see that. Um, so the f- quarterback is going to be, Norvell said, came in Curtin. Uh, he played against Idaho State, seemed to do okay, a dual threat quarterback. What does he bring to Nevada that uh, that WSU should be worried about on Saturday? I mean, the thing that Nevada's really highlighted is the leadership skills, the work ethic, all of those really non-physical, non-on-the-field things. Now, when you get onto the field, obviously, you need all of those physical talents and whatnot. I mean, he's a pretty good athlete. I mean, he got offers from Alabama, LSU, South Carolina to go play a different position there. He really wanted to be a quarterback, so he played it out and, uh, you know, was waiting for an offer from Oregon to roll in. It never rolled in, so he ended up picking between Nevada and New Mexico. New Mexico runs a triple option out of the shotgun, so it was more a run offense. So that's ultimately, I think, why he picked Nevada. Um, and also, his high school coach was hired as Nevada's um, outside receiver assistant coach. So he had some familiarity there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he probably saw that he could play immediately. So, I mean, he, he is a good athlete. He has scrambling ability. But he just scrambled too quickly and too often without going through his progressions in the first game. He was really running around all over the place. I mean, he was credited with 16 runs for five yards. Now, a lot of those were just... You know, it was a design pass play, and he just started to scramble around and, you know, maybe got a yard or two here or there. Um, so I think he really needs to calm down and go through his reads and his progressions and things like that. But, I mean, he did show some good things late in the game. I mean, like I said, Nevada was down 23 points in the third quarter. He rallies them to the game's final three touchdowns, hits on a two-point conversion to pull him within eight points, then goes down and scores on a fourth, uh, fourth down play with uh, less than a minute to go. And he needs to hit the two-point conversion to send it to overtime. He was trying to throw a back shoulder. Uh, defensive uh, end kind of dropped into his, his, his area that he was going to throw it, so he tried to squeeze the ball and it slipped out of his hand. So kind of a, a bad ending to how that rally uh, you know came about. But I think uh, you know Nevada likes a lot of that poise and that maturity and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a strong arm. He's not a tall guy. He's only five foot eleven. Um, but you know he has the arm to make most of the throws. It's just um, you know how accurate can he be, and will he actually stand in the pocket and go through his reads and get the ball into the you know the hands of the playmakers? And I think. Now, obviously, Washington State gets uh, a lot of acclaim for its offense, but its defense has been really, really good this year. And I think that's going to be a huge test is how does he, you know, line up against a team like that when he kind of struggled against Idaho State, which in its previous game allowed Utah State starting quarterback to complete 25 of 27 passes for 300 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that obviously wasn't a very good defense that he had just played, and there were some struggles there. But, you know, you expect a big jump in the second game now that he's actually been out there and understands what the college game is like. Uh, Mike Leach said in his press conference earlier this week that uh, you can't throw a dead cat at the Nevada coaching staff without uh, WSU knowing someone. And despite the uh, little colorful uh, description of it, uh, a guy he probably knows better than anybody is Matt Mummy, the offensive coordinator. He's the son of Hal, the guy who legendarily worked with Mike Leach on the air raid, especially in their days at Kentucky where Matt played. Um, How close, you you mentioned this in air raid offense, how closely does it resemble kind of the what you know what folks would think of as the traditional air raid offense or has Matt kind of put his own spin on it a little bit uh in in this role yeah I mean he's put his own spin on it and I think Jay's had a huge impact on that as well I mean Jay was the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma about seven years after Mike was there and I actually asked him today at his press conference would you be running the air raid 
without that experience because it still resembled a lot of what Coach Leach did even by the time he got to Oklahoma. And he said no because, I mean, Jay grew up in the West Coast offense. He played at Iowa when it was the West First offense. Uh, from there he went to the Raiders, uh, had some time with the Colts, uh, was with Nebraska, was with UCLA. He was with a lot of these schools that ran Bill Walsh's old system. Um, and he really was introduced to full-on air raid when he got to Oklahoma, and that's really influenced him. Nevada likes to run the ball a lot more. I mean, they're still going to be a pass-first team, but they've run the ball probably 45% of its plays, almost 65% of its plays in the last game. Now, part of that is because Sheridan had so many designed passes that turned into runs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there are a lot of similarities, uh, but Nevada also tries to be a little bit more, you know, physical power run up the middle, stretch people wide, and then take advantage of the lanes up the gut. Um, and, you know, I mean, Matt Mummy uh, has known, like you said, Coach Leach for a long time. He said he met him when he was in the fifth grade. He would always come over to Dad's house, and, you know, they would talk football. Uh, he played for him at Valdosta State. Uh, he remembers, he told this story today uh, about when he was a freshman, he went into Coach Leach's office just to talk because he had about 30 minutes before he had to go to class. I uh, saw the picture of Geronimo, the poster in the office, asked about Geronimo, and then three hours later they were still talking about Geronimo, and he missed three of his classes because he just got wrapped up to talk about <laughs> Coach Leach. So, I mean, these guys talk a lot. They, you know, uh, not only him, but also Mason Miller. Mason Miller is the offensive line coach at Nevada. Uh, he was uh, a coach for more than a decade on the offensive line under Hal Mummy's teams, and um, uh, he, he worked very closely at Valdosta State uh, with Coach Leach because uh, Mason was a fullback when Coach Leach uh, with coaching the team's offensive line. So, you know, a lot of relationships. Uh, you know, I know Washington State has, like you said, you know, three, four, five assistants or people, you know, connected to the program who came from Nevada. I mean, you even look at Washington State's second-leading tackler, uh, Isaac Dobson, and he originally committed to play quarterback yep. for Nevada. Mm-hmm. Coach all resigned. He, he, you know, reneged on that and, and decided to go a different route. But, yeah, there's a ton of, uh, you know, little confluences between these two programs. And uh, obviously they run very similar systems both on offense and on defense. So, uh, you know, if, if Nevada has any little edge, I mean, they're familiar with what they're going to face. That doesn't mean they're going to be able to stop it, but they shouldn't yeah. have any issues trying to figure out the exact scheme that they're playing against. If you had to pick one guy uh, on offense, Chris, that WSU's defense needs to be most worried about, who would it be? Uh, you know, I, I think WSU's had problems in the past with mobile QBs. They've kind of fixed it a little bit this year when they faced uh, Montana State and Boise State. Their quarterbacks didn't really get out and run too terribly much, so that problem might be fixed. But who else should WSU worry about on offense for the Wolfpack? I mean, really, the number one standout for the Wolfpack so far this season on offense has been McLean Mannix. He's a true freshman wide receiver from Midland, Texas. His dad was actually on the Friday Night Lights um, uh, team that they made movies and books about and the TV show about, and he was portrayed in that movie. He's just a, he's a small guy. He's 5'10", 175 pounds. But in his first three games in Nevada, I mean, he's been great. He scored a touchdown in each of the games. He's got 15 receptions for just a, a shade under 300 receiving yards. Um, super, super fast kid. Uh, you know, there was a reason he was going to Vanderbilt, um, but he was able to be swayed by Matt Mooney late in the process. Matt told a story about how, uh, you know, he accepted him at a job. He went home for Christmas in the West Texas area, and the first thing he did was look up on Rival, Scout, and ESPN, okay, are there any uh, slot receivers in the West Texas area that I can go and talk to and start recruiting? He mm-hmm. ran across uh, Mannix's name. Uh, and ended up, you know, being able to talk him out of going to Vanderbilt and coming to Nevada. So he's been uh, great for Nevada out of the slot. And then they have a big uh, receiver, Wyatt Sims, 
uh, six foot four guy on the outside who um, you know had a great season last year and he, he's, he's played pretty well of late. He also had three touchdowns this season, uh, scored nine touchdowns last year. So those, those are really the top two targets for Cam Kirsten. Um, and, and, you know, Cayman has to play well. I mean, he does have some mobility. I don't, he, I don't know that he's going to break off 50, 60 yard runs. I mean, he's not quite at the level of a Colin Kaepernick or even a Cody Fajardo who had previously played at Nevada, um, you know, and, uh, as far as that mold is concerned. Mm-hmm. But, um, he's very good at extending plays and keeping his eyes down the field. He's not, I, I mean, a lot of people will think, okay, this guy, uh, when you look at him, uh, and, and see him on the field that he's just trying to, you know, you know, make some plays with his arm, but he really wants to do damage with his legs. It's kind of the opposite. He, he is always moving around in the pocket, but he's always looking downfield. He always wants to throw the ball. Um, so that that is, you know, one of the reasons that Nevada thinks that he's capable of playing quarterback long term and has given him this opportunity when other schools wanted him as an athlete is because they feel like he has the instincts of a quarterback to, you know, always be thinking pass first and okay, uh, you know, I'm, I'm breaking the pocket, but. Uh, who are my guys down the field that I can get the ball to? So, um, you know, those are the two receivers to look at. Uh, Nevada will probably be without a starting running back. He's in the concussion protocol. Uh, suffered a head injury last week and then hasn't returned to practice. So mm-hmm. um, while they like to run the ball, they're probably going to be down their number one uh, running back in the backfield. I want to get a quick update on a former Coug and Cal punt return legend, uh, Caleb Fossum. I know he was banged up. Any chance he plays this week uh, in Pullman? I don't think so. I mean, the coach listed him as doubtful, but he still hasn't returned to practice. He has a brace on his knee out of practice today. Um, he's, I mean, 99% chance he doesn't play. I know it's killing him. I mean, he's been talking about it the entire yeah. offseason mm-hmm. uh, and has been really fired up for the game. But there actually will be uh, a former Washington State uh, player who's starting for Nevada in this game, Sean Krep. I'm actually working on a story on him right mm-hmm. now. Uh, he spent one year uh, at, uh, at Pullman, uh, Sean Krep. He's Nevada's starting center. Um, so he was there for a year, redshirted on the offensive line, then transferred over to Riverside uh, Community College and joined Nevada last year. So, I mean, even, you know, just former players, there's still connections between these two programs. He was very close uh, with a number of, of former teammates over there, and he said, he, you know, he's going to send uh, some text to him and maybe talk a little bit of smack. But, um, you know, he had two of his roommates, Cole Madison and B.J. Samuelson, uh, you know, start, uh, you know, on the line for the yeah. Cougars. So uh, he's also close with uh, Andre Dillard. Um, because they came in at the same time together. So he's really looking forward to this game as well. He will be out there, but Caleb Boston, uh, unfortunately, with the, the knee dislocation. Uh, dislocation in the season opener isn't, isn't going to be able to make it out. Man, Leach wasn't kidding. I could, like, dead cat, you just hit whoever you want. Like, <laughs> it's insane yeah. how many people. Uh, I want to move on to the defense real quick, Chris. Uh, I looked up the passing yardage. Uh, per attempt they're giving up over eight yards an attempt their defense you know not ranked very highly uh, when you just look at counting stats in the NCAA Bill Connolly's S&P not a big fan of them either what's the biggest issue on defense for Nevada right now they're not getting a ton of pressure in the backfield um, you know they're getting some tackles to loss off runs they were a horrible run defense team last year they were last in the nation by almost 20 yards Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the huge concern entering this game. I mean, I even tweeted in fall camp that the secondary has a chance to be Nevada's best secondary since the early 90s when they had three NFL players in the secondary. Um, but it just hasn't panned out that way. I mean, they've actually been really, really good against the run. I mean, none of the three teams they've played so far has averaged more than four yards per run. Um, but they just can't stop the pass, which has been super surprising just because of how good secondary pieces are. But I think a lot of that is just the fact that they haven't been able to get a ton of pressure um, you know, on the quarterback to create, you know, some some inaccurate throws 
those and things of that nature. So, uh, yeah, that's been an issue. And then Coach mm-hmm. Norvell really challenged the secondary and said, you guys need to take ownership of this team. You guys are the experienced players. Like, we can't have uh, what we're currently having in past defense. So this will obviously be a huge challenge for those guys. And they have to create more turnovers. They've created uh, only two turnovers in three games. They've actually had a turnover in each game that has been overruled by, uh, you know, after review. Oh, and and in my unbiased opinion, all three of them were very, very bad calls. The, the, the first two, the one against Northwestern and the one against Toledo, um, may have led to the losses. I, I mentioned that Northwestern fumble earlier in the game, but yeah. Nevada also basically had a pick six where a guy had an interception on the goal line, ran it back 95 yards to the two-yard line, um, and there was no review that showed that the ball hit the ground. So it had some bad luck as far as that's concerned as well, but they just haven't had the kind of big explosive plays that turn games. Um, so, you know, unless they do that against Washington State, they're a huge underdog. They need to win the turnover battle, minus five on the year. That, that, that'll be a huge uh, key entering this game. Who's the best player on defense uh, as far as you're concerned and your observations of him through the first three games? You mentioned that secondary was supposed to maybe be good uh, before the season hasn't panned out, but they've been pretty good against the run. Who's kind of the one guy you think WSU needs to keep their eye on uh, on the defense? Yeah, I mean, I'll go with Malik Reed there. He's a defensive end. He was second team all Mountain West last year. He's preseason first team this year. Yeah, they not really had a huge impact uh, as far as facts are concerned. I mean, he's a guy who works harder than anybody on the defense. A uh, guy was super under-recruited out of Alabama and has really turned himself into a very good player. Um, he just hasn't had a ton of pressure in the backfield. I mean, he's, he's really done well against the run, like, uh, you know, the majority of that line. But, you know, he has to, to rack up the sack. I mean, he was having a great fall camp, and he kind of just hasn't hasn't had those big plays quite yet. But it feels like it's going to come at some point, obviously, with Washington State. Scheduled to throw the ball 50, 60 times. He'll have plenty of opportunities to get into the backfield, so... Uh, Malik Reed, a junior, um, is probably the guy you have to pinpoint and watch because mm-hmm. if he can have a really good game, a disruptive game, maybe that gives the Wolfpack a little bit of a chance uh, you know, to slow down this offense and to, to keep themselves in the game. Opened as a 26-point favorite to WSU, got bet up to 28 points. Uh, if you had to give me a prediction right now, I know it's early in the week, but uh, what's the final score on Saturday in Pullman? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see Nevada keeping this one super close if it, if it plays to a freshman quarterback, which I don't, I don't think is a wrong decision. I mean, it's time to play for the future and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But uh, if, if they're going to keep Cam and Churchin in there for the entire game, I think this one is probably pretty lopsided. I'll say something like, you know, 48 to, uh, you know, 17, something in that region. I mean, this would be the biggest upset probably in school history, to be honest. I went back to 2000. Nevada's won six games since 2000 as a double-digit underdog, but the largest uh, spread in any of those games with 17 points. That was actually against Fresno State in 2005, the week after Fresno State almost uh, beat those uh, USC Reggie Bush teams. Um, so it, it would take a, a pretty big miracle to come off of it, uh, a defeat that was so stunning uh, to come back, uh, you know, last week uh, against Idaho State to come back and have a, mm-hmm. a stunning victory. So, yeah, I think I think Washington State has uh, the edge in a lot of categories. Um, but if the Wolfpack's going to play its young, young quarterback, you know, I think – uh, Washington State's defense is good enough and aggressive enough that it's probably going to give them some trouble throughout the game. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go with the Cougars big enough. At Murray RGJ on Twitter, his work at the Reno Gazette Journal is excellent. I've been enjoying it all week. And, uh, Chris, I hope those emails don't continue too much. Like, what was that? I saw four different – they want f- what, uh, four different quarterbacks. Four different quarterbacks people yeah. emailing you should be playing. Yeah, I mean, that, That's the interesting part is because they've, they've kind of auditioned so many guys that, yeah, everybody is kind of – has their favorite backup. It's not just one backup. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I let the I let the mom know that I would not use her name, but I just wanted to use it to kind of illuminate the, the position where everybody has their favorite backup. 
obviously, you know, the favorite guy on campus is the backup quarterback, where Nevada has, you know, three or four of those guys. Oh. Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't think they're to the level of calling for open tryouts in the middle of his season yet, but if they get there, uh, God forbid they do. <laughs> Uh, you, you, you too can have a quarterback who walked over from a fraternity and tried out and, and got on there. Chris, thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. to Chris for joining us from the biggest little city in the world. My second favorite place in Nevada to gamble. I just... I mean, Vegas is always number one, but Reno's pretty nice. Um, I wanted to talk about something else uh, this week. It's been interesting seeing some numbers come in on ratings for the NFL compared to college football and increases and decreases. I mean, obviously college football ratings-wise on TV still can't really hold a candle to the NFL um, unless we're talking about the playoff and the championship and even then comparing it to regular season you have a tough time beating it but that it seems like the ratings for college football on TV are going up and the ratings for the NFL are going down and I think it has to do with finally we see you know that more people are coming around to the idea that college football is just a lot of fun. And the atmosphere surrounding college football is more of a collective spirit of, you know, happiness and of of, uh, of togetherness and, you know, to use very flowery words like that. But the fans have a lot more invested in their teams than they do in the NFL. There's also another component where... The NFL has just gotten unspeakably boring. I, I I just, I don't know what it has been. I can't be the only person in the last couple of years that even when I'm playing fantasy football, which I'm not doing at all this year, except for a college football fantasy. I'm not doing any fantasy football NFL this year. I occasionally will place a very legal sports wager on an NFL game, but even then I have a tough time staying interested in the game. I put a little cash money on. It is just the oddest thing. And it, I, 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 I've, I'm finding myself do the same thing with the Seahawks. I've, I've loved the Seahawks since I was probably about 12 or 13. So this would be about 99, 2000 when Mike Holmgren started coaching. Football was never big in our house. It was always baseball, which you know, I learned to get my heart broken early by the Mariners. But it just, ever ever since I was 12 or 13, I always looked forward to Seahawks games. I always looked forward to watching them. And I just, it's not that I don't look forward to watching them now, but it's just like, God, it just, there's no urgency for me to get in front of a TV. For any NFL game, for that matter. And for, you know, we were in Canada this last weekend for a wedding. And we went to a place to grab brunch 
for breakfast before taking our ferry home. First of all, I booked, I you know, made a ferry reservation. I didn't even care what time it was at. Oh, we don't need to get back in time for the Seahawks game. Let's listen to it on the radio, which don't. Um, but I, I didn't even, I didn't even feel compelled to like go search out an, a bar with an NFL game on and a good brunch. I didn't, I didn't even feel compelled to do that. Like the the bare minimum required that the NFL really needs you to do on a Sunday when you're traveling is, you know, go find somewhere to watch games. I didn't even feel compelled to do that. We just went to a bar that happened to have one TV on. I think it was the Patriots and Saints. And I had a really good pulled pork hash. And a really excellent Caesar. A bloody Caesar. Really good. But on Saturday on our way up to Victoria... I was constantly checking scores of college football games. I was trying to find any terrestrial radio station within range of my antenna that could pick up any college game I could listen to. Just because it's an hour and a half ferry ride from Sawasan over to Victoria. So it's like I got nothing to do for an hour and a half. I was trying to find anything I could listen to. I was trying desperately to get the internet to work so I could watch a coup game. Again, more on that in a minute. And then even at the wedding, at the table with all, you know, all the other folks who were checking in, they were checking in on college games. College football is just more fun. Coaches go for it on fourth down. They don't automatically just punt the damn ball because NFL coaches are so scared, so scared that if they get too they get to, you know, if, if they wander too far outside, they're very conservative play calling and very almost scared play calling nature that something's going to bite them in the ass. Something's going to jump up and bite them straight in the butt. Man, I would kill, absolutely kill for more teams to go for it on fourth and short in plus territory. But the NFL is so formulaic. It plays to a formula. Even after the Patriots lost the first week, did anybody really think they still weren't the Super Bowl favorites? I, I mean, it, it's it got to be them, right? Falcons are good again. Packers will probably be fine. It just, it's... It, it's boring. It's boring. And the ratings reflect that. Nobody wants to watch boring football. You're not going to spend your time at home on a Sunday night watching boring football. You're just not going to do it. Or even on Monday night. And I love Monday night football. It was a staple of my childhood. It was the only time I got to stay up late on a Monday night. Or on, uh, during the week. It was the only time I got to stay up late. It was Monday for Monday night football. Only time. And even then I usually conk out around halftime. Because I was five. And again, my enduring memory is the game started later than two. But I, you know, maybe it was just my five-year-old internal clock. Thought it was so late because it was really dark out. College football is just, it's, it's not that it's more unpredictable. It is. Anything really can happen in college football. But it is just more fun. And it is becoming a lot more fun. Because the NFL doesn't play loose. They play so tight. And it's boring and it's bland football. 
I started having trouble watching any NFL games last year. And boy, this year, I just, that Monday night game, I start working around six and I'll usually leave the TV on, you know, just to take a peek at, helps me focus writing too. Didn't even bother turning it on. Didn't even bother. Just, I didn't even, didn't care enough to turn it on. But I, I will get up at 8.45 in the morning on a Saturday that I'm home and not in Pullman. I will get up at 8.45 in the morning and I will start, I will get, I will get my command center going. I will get my college football command center. I will bring my computer upstairs. I'll bring the spare laptop upstairs. I'll bring the tablet upstairs and they will all be on a different game. All of them. I have my Bloody Mary bar downstairs. I make pork shoulder for lunch and I am watching football until Hawaii's done playing at 1.30 in the morning. I watch it all day. I cannot get enough of it. Because again, it's that different atmosphere. It's that different, it's how that sport just feels different in terms of the fan base, in terms of the environment, and in terms of anything can really happen because these are 18 to 22 year old kids. Anything can happen. Coaches are a lot more loose. They'll go for it on fourth down more. They're not as conservative. They open up the playbook more. It, this sport at the college level is just more intriguing now. And that's something the NFL is going to have to deal with. I don't know how. But I, 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 and I, I can't be the only one that has, without a fantasy football interest, and even with a sport, a minor sports betting interest, has just tuned out almost completely. Except for their team's games. And even then, I'm not like booking at home to try and watch it. I can't, I can't be the only person. Because the numbers reflect that. I can't be the only person doing that. Who has that reason to not tune in anymore. You're just not, I'm just not interested. I am not interested in it anymore. I I I'm I am more interested in the NBA regular season now, and those and those games mean even less. They mean absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things because all you're doing is trying to get to the playoffs, and even then the Warriors are probably just going to win it all again. I'm I am more interested. You know I am more here for a Warriors Cavs regular season matchup than I am for any NFL game right now. That is more appointment viewing for me. And that is a big problem for the NFL. That's a huge problem. More people finally starting to realize college football is a hell of a lot more fun. Been screaming it from the rooftops for years. And now I am just, I can't be the only one, just almost completely checked out on the NFL. Dunderhead of the Week, Ask Michael Anything. Wrap it up, coming up next.
Letterhead of the Week time, as I've uh, previewed a little bit in this show. Boy, my frustrations with uh, with the wireless internet connection at the hotel we had in Victoria, British Columbia. I, I the hotel was fine. It's right in downtown. It's right. There's literally a bar in its downstairs level that had. You know, for six bucks Canadian, which is about like four seventy-five American right now, something like that. They had Imperial pints, 20 ounce pints of Molson Canadian. Like I, I can't complain too much about this. But when I'm trying to watch WSU Oregon State before we leave for the wedding, as we're getting ready, and the wireless internet keeps dropping from my phone and from the iPad, and it keeps just like. I don't know if it's a problem. It can't just be my devices. Because they were both having the same problem of the internet just giving up after like five minutes each time. I, 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 all I want to do is watch my friggin' football game. I even tried the tune-in radio app. Tried to listen to Chaz Now, Gesser, and Bob Rob. That would that didn't work. I, I, I think it's the people at Big Shaw Internet in Canada who don't want me streaming crap while I'm in this hotel. All I, I got, I got like a little five-minute snippets. I was unfortunate enough to see the the throw tomorrow for the safety. I got to see that live. That was about all I saw live. That was like it. So you can imagine my consternation that uh, before uh, Monday morning when we got you know we got home Sunday, but I wasn't able to watch till Monday morning. My DVR version of it in my house. You can imagine my consternation and maybe not thinking that the final score was that indicative of how well the Googs had played. <laughs> I just I just wanted to work. This isn't on the Pac-12. Their app worked fine. Their YouTube channel worked fine. I, I just, it's like, guys. I just wanted to work. We were in the car driving out to the wedding venue. I got, I got picked up a station in Bellingham carrying the game. And I literally sat in the car for like 10 minutes till the end of the half, waiting for it to get over, and then ran up for the ceremony to start half an hour later than we thought it did. Wireless internet at the Bedford Regency in Victoria, Canada. Get your crap together. Hotel was fine. Especially for the price. And the bar downstairs, I love it. But better wireless internet, please. Ask Michael anything. Ask Michael anything. Ask Michael anything. At rblank99, blame underscore Spokane. What's the best type of cheese? I mean, am I going to be like, am I going to be like stereotypical and say, oh, it's cougar gold. I mean, that is my favorite cheese. Uh, Goat cheese is pretty good. I had some cheese at the wedding this weekend. I don't know what it was, but it was also pretty good. Uh, but I'm gonna go with nacho cheese, specifically in those like 10 gallon drums you can buy at Costco. Because I, I don't know what it is, I can't get enough of nacho cheese. And, pro tip, put tapatio in yours, mix it in there, then get your chips in. Thank me later, y'all. Thank me later. At Totes McStow's Pumpkin Stos Latte, where do you stand on the vanilla ice cream in chili discussion that Brian Floyd had last night? I had to look this up. Who puts vanilla ice cream in chili? I don't care that the guy said trust me. I don't know. I don't, I don't care. 
No ice cream and chili. No ice cream and chili. That is un-American. And also, it just, it just weirds me out. Ice cream and chili. At WSU Brady 27. Why can't we buy an anthracite uniform? Even Leach couldn't get a straight answer as to why. I mean, I, I've said this a few times, and I, I, I know a lot of folks want to buy one. And I don't blame you, because I said on Twitter Monday, they look great. They look superb. Uh, but I assume it has something to do with Nike. I mean, it, it can't be the school, knowing they have this much demand for it, saying, yeah, no, we don't, we just don't want to sell it. I assume it has something to do with Nike. At Jimmy, Jeremy Fegan, cheap slash free beers during halftime in the tailgate lot with a return trip for the second half or expensive ones inside Martin Stadium. I always get to the back to the stadium late no matter what if I go to Coogville to get a beer or if I go to the lot to get a beer, but I'd rather go to the lot and get the free beer if I'm tailgating with somebody. I don't have a tailgate and where we park is all the way down by Daggy, so I couldn't run there anyway. So it just depends, but I prefer the free beer. At C. Coog, 8606, Sean, which is a superior game? NFL Blitz on N64 or NBA Jam on SNES? NFL Blitz, N64. Next question. At C. Anderson, 6789, Cameron Anderson, how do you politely tell your friends that aren't going to the USC game that they're effing idiots? I mean, that, that seems about as polite as it gets to me. <laughs> I mean, I get, if they live on the west side... It's a Friday night. I kind of get it. But if you got a vacation day and you can't roll it over, take it. Or if you got like all these extra vacation days you're not saving them for, just take it. You're going to regret it if you don't. I, I hope. I really hope anyway. See you again for the Friday show. Quick shorty Friday show on this Nevada game week. Uh, you're in the Coop Center Hour.